song about a man called Goth and a little boy wanted to be tarred with the same brush. He learned Latin, held his head up high, and he hated the liberals, though he didn't know. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Pod on the Hill. Now, my name is Conrad French, and I'm the digital director here at Victorian Labor. Over the past two weeks, the Women's T20 World Cup has been taking place across Australia. Joining us today to have a look back at the tournament so far and preview the semi-finals, which are this afternoon in Sydney, is the cricket journalist from the ESPN Cricket Info, Melinda Farrell. Welcome, Melinda. Well, thank you very, very much for having me. Now, thank you very much for coming on Pod on the Hill at such late notice with just the hours before the semi-finals start today. Um, now, before we talk about the p- tournament proper, I want to quickly touch on one of the one of the great stories of this World Cup, and that's the, the story of the Thailand uh, T20 women's team. Uh, in 2009, the Thailand team had just played just two international games. 11 years later, they've qualified for the Women's World Cup. And in fact, in- incredibly, they're the first women's team to qualify for a Cricket World Cup before their male counter- counterparts. How incredible has this rise of the Thai team be, and how have they performed at this World Cup? Yeah, it's a really wonderful story and it just sort of came about from a few people's passion, the Thailand Cricketers. Yeah, the Thailand Cricket Association just pulled everyone together. They got uh, women, young women from universities mostly who were really talented sports people, particularly in sports like softball or uh, track and field, even hockey. So a lot of them were great athletes. Uh, they learned the game very quickly. I think they're still learning. Yep. Uh, they they were finished last in their division, but then rose up through the ranks and beat Papua New Guinea uh, to to qualify, become the first Thai team of any type to qualify for a Cricket World Cup. But throughout the tournament, they've just been uh, on the field when it comes to their cricket. They've been one of one of the sort of standout fielding sides in many ways, which is really incredible. They've worked so hard on that. Yeah, that, that softball uh, but, background probably helps with that as well, doesn't it, with some of those players? Well, that's right, yeah. Just their, their um, throwing arms and, and being really fast attacking the ball when they're in the field. But um, uh, with the bat on the uh, – it's so unfortunate, the last group game – because uh, no one expected them to to come even close to winning. But they've given uh, teams, particularly the West Indies, they gave them a real scare early on in, in their match. Uh, but they made 150 for three uh, against against uh, Pakistan in their final uh, group match. And then the rest of the game was, was abandoned because of rain. So it was so unfortunate. But they've been giving gifts to opposing captains they they perform uh, the why which is where they, uh, they they bow to all sort of four sides of the ground each time and they've brought so much joy to the competition it's been really refreshing and they've been everybody's second favorite team if not favorite team <laughs> yeah it is a real shame you touched that pakistan game pakistan um are a good side they're not any pushovers by any any respect, and to make 150 in that last game, it was sort of all set up for perhaps of the fairy tale finish for Thailand to win a game, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. Um, now we'll get into the tournament proper, as uh, we said that the semi-finals are this afternoon, and the semi-finals are uh, England to play India in the first of the semi-finals at 3 p.m. Uh, today, which is the 5th of March, and then Australia to play South Africa in the later game at 7 p.m. Now, just before we get into the the, the matches, uh, how the, each of the teams got there, India uh, in a 
in a bit of an upset, beat Australia in the first game by 17 runs. They then beat Bangladesh by 18 runs. They beat New Zealand by three wickets and beat Sri Lanka by seven wickets to finish on top of Conference A, undefeated. So a great, a great sort of pool start for India. And then Australia, who finished second in Conference B, they obviously lost to India in uh, the first game. Then they beat Sri Lanka by five wickets. They then beat Bangladesh by 86 runs, I think it was. Uh, the highest score of the tournament, if my memory serves correctly. And also then they beat New Zealand in a nail-biter, which was basically a, quarter, a quarterfinal uh, two days ago when they won by four runs. Let's talk about Conference A at first. How big a result was that first game, Australia-India, where India won? Well, it was just massive because there was so much uh, build-up and expectation around Australia before the start of this tournament. They, they made clear their intentions to attempt to sell out the MCG for the final on International Women's Day. Australia have been so dominant in the past couple of years. I think they'd only lost, I think they'd played around 31 T20 matches and they'd only lost five. And and a couple of those were in the, the Tri-Series leading up to uh, this this tournament, which they played with England and India. So Australia, everyone's been so fearful that because of the investment in Australian women's cricket, that they're just pulling so far away from the head of the world that it, no one's going to be able to compete with them. So this is all the background to them coming out uh, to Sydney showground and just being beaten by India in the first match. It, it was... Uh, it sort of sent a shockwave around the competition first up. India had beaten them recently in the tri-series, but I think most people felt that when it came to the tournament proper, uh, normal service would be resumed. Um, it, its conditions really suited India. It was a very slow and low wicket, and that's been the case for a lot of the the, uh, the pitches around this tournament. They've, they've not really been pitches that would suit Australia massively more than other sides have been a bit of a leveller and India made really good use of that. So in a way, I think it probably wouldn't be something that would sit well with the Australian team, but it was probably really good for the competition because all of a sudden Australia were under pressure and they had to win every game from there on in. There was just no room for slipping up and it did set up an amazing quarterfinal essentially, uh, against New Zealand. So, and, and that was another really tight game too. So it's it's been a really great tournament because I think there have been a lot more tighter games than, than people have perhaps expected and teams competing uh, who, who people might have thought would, would be rolled over a bit, bit more easily. Yeah, T20 sort of lends itself to that sort of uh, more sort of an upset result, just being the shorter game. There's less... There's less time for the cream to rise to the top, I, I guess. And so, and but you you mentioned those slower pitches. Is that do you think that's been a deliberate strategy by tournament organisers to sort of direct the the pitches to be slower and, and lower? Is it that just because it's it's later in the season, therefore the pitches have had a lot of use? Yeah, I, I think it's the latter. I, you know, end of a very very long summer. I mean, even the wacker, the wackers generally, uh, I believe, the best pitch for women's cricket in the world, bar none. It's, it's generally produces sort of enough pace that everybody gets something to work with. Um, and, and it was probably quicker than than others 
uh, or the junction outfield was a nice quick uh, junction oval outfield was was particularly nice and quick. It was a quicker pitch than probably any that we've got. Um, I mean, I don't mind there being variety of pitches in, in a World Cup. I think that can be great for the tournament and allow everyone to have sort of moments where things are going their way or suit them a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, yeah, look, it's just an unfortunate thing because I actually like seeing slightly quicker pitches. Um, in the women's game, but uh, holding a tournament in in sort of late February March, there's, there's going to only be so much that the the ground staff can do, isn't there? That's mm. there's been a lot of cricket. There's been a lot of cricket played on those pitches over the past uh, sort of four months. As someone who always fancied himself as a fast bowler, I always like to see quicker pitches in any form of cricket, so <laughs> women's or otherwise. Um, all right, let's move to Conference B. Uh, England, uh, oh, South Africa have topped the group. They beat England in the first game uh, by six wickets. Was that as, for those who don't follow women's cricket as closely, was that as big a surprise as the Australia-India game or is that was that more of an a, a, a even contest going into the match? No, I think, uh, look, for a lot of people, it would be an upset in that South Africa have been, in, in the top of women's cricket, you've really had sort of uh, India, Australia and and uh, England and then sort of New Zealand's following closely as, as, as the teams that generally succeed. South Africa's been a real newcomer in the way that their team has risen. So a lot of countries like... South Africa and, and New Zealand come into this as well. Uh, West Indies, Bangladesh, they, they don't have a lot of money. They don't spend a lot of money. They have nothing like the Women's Big Bash or even some of the other tournaments, the domestic sort of WNCL, those tournaments that they have that we have in Australia. So South Africa have kind of been on that next rung down for a long time. So in that sense, it probably was a little bit of a turn up. But in another sense, in the past couple of years, uh, that they were knocked out of the 2017 um, World Cup by England and didn't make the semi-final. And on that day, I mean, honestly, the tears and the emotion—it was the tightest game, and I felt like that. Feel like that was a real turning point for them. They've been really impressing ever since. So in a way, it didn't feel like an upset because they're just possibly probably the most improved side. Of, of the past five years in, in women's cricket. And um, they've been outstanding in this tournament and they deserve to be where they are. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll finish off with the fact that they then beat Thailand uh, by 113 runs. Uh, Lee's got 101 off six, just 60 balls, incredible innings. Um, they then beat Pakistan by 17 runs and their last game was washed out against the West Indies. That was enough to see them top the pool. Having beaten England in that first game, England... Uh, then went on to beat Thailand, uh, Pakistan, and the West Indies. But that, as I said, that washout in the last game of the of the pool match was enough to see South Africa finish on top. Uh, which brings us to the semi-finals uh, later today, where, as I said earlier, South Africa will play Australia and England take on India. Now, the the wrinkle in all of this now is the weather. That uh, now you're you're up in Sydney, obviously, and it's and looking at the the, the BOM this morning, it doesn't look promising for much cricket up there today what oh, it's, it's hammering i can tell you it's hammering <laughs> right down right now <laughs> if it is any consolation if they were in melbourne they'd probably still be washed out because it's belting here as well but i guess what what happens in a what 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 is what are the rules around the rain affected games today uh melinda 
Well, if there's rain about, they've actually changed the playing conditions for this tournament. Normally, as you would you would need a minimum of of five overs for each side um, to bat to have a, a full game of T20 cricket for this tournament, and it will be the same for the the men's later on this year, which is being held in Australia. Uh, you need a minimum of ten overs per side. So to get two full semi-finals in, we need to have 40 overs of cricket played. Uh, and if they can't manage that, then the, the team that with of the highest ranking or highest position at the end of the group stages goes straight through to the final. So we have a situation where if they can't complete at least 20 overs per match, uh, then then any of those teams, of the, of the two semi-finals, it will be India and South Africa going through to the final, which would be pretty uh, just wild, actually. It's, it's, it's hard to think that that could happen, that particularly Australia, but also England, could bow out of the tournament uh, without even playing a, a bowling a ball or picking up a bat. Yeah, it really does show how important those two first-round games are now, that uh, if mm. the winner of those two games, effectively, they've become the semi-final games. And I guess with... Everyone knew the rules, and and if you and that's and they sort of become if you win every game, you'll be you'll finish on top. Uh, there's people all across the country will be playing their cricket semi-finals in club cricket this weekend. Who all know if they're on top, they're going to go through to a final the following weekend. So it's one of those things. It's one of those strange things in cricket where rain often has an effect. There has been some discussion, and the ICC has now said that there definitely won't be reserve days for Friday. They had reserve days in the in the men's 50-over World Cup earlier or in the middle of last year, and we saw New Zealand win. They wouldn't have made it through if it hadn't been for those reserve days. Why mm. didn't the tournament organisers build in reserve days uh, for this tournament? So the ICC view this tournament differently to the one-day tor- uh, tournaments, and at this stage, as things stand, it's the same for the men's tournament, again, held in Australia later this year. So... Their, their line is that it's a, it's meant to be a short, sharp tournament uh, and that it, it wouldn't have been possible to extend the tournament at all. Um, they, they have to have a travel day where they don't train. So essentially they have to have a travel day where they fly from one city to another and then a training day before they play the final. So that's one of the reasons why they, they've said we can't just suddenly throw in a reserve day. And, of course, there's logistics, there's costs, there's all of those things. <laughs> having said uh, having said that, um, it, it, you're, it, it's pretty hard to see that they couldn't have it, it scheduled, you know, the tournament to start a day earlier, for example, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, rain has a disproportionate effect in the, on, on the women's tournament even more than the men because there are fewer teams. There are only eight teams in this. Uh, there are 16 at the start of the men's uh, T20 World Cup and then it drops to four after the sort of qualifying week. So, Jen, it's dro- yeah, so they've, they've got 12 then. So if you get a rain-affected match or or if you're defeated and in, in, because a game is washed out, you have to share points, you have time to work your way back into the tournament a little bit. In this tournament, you don't because there are only eight teams. So um, one washout and and it has a huge, huge effect. Of course, this being a knockout, it has even a bigger effect. Um, it's, it's really unfortunate and it's one of those things that only ever becomes a big issue 
when it's an issue. Yeah. No one, even though people signed up for it, agreed with it, I don't think countries actually followed this through to the end, uh, the end where they go, well, what if we end up being on the worst end of this? We saw the same thing happen in the men's um, 50 over World Cup last year when it came to the super over situation where at the end of a super over it came down to a, a boundary count back and and it was like well everyone signed up to it but at the same time I don't think anyone really thought about what that would look like um, and there was pressure put on the ICC and and they've changed the playing conditions for this tournament and all ICC tournaments going forward so maybe we'll see pressure come in all four captains said they, they felt there should be a reserve day even those who would benefit from uh, the, the match being uh, rained off today and they're not being a reserve day. So I think the players are pretty clear and I think the fans might make it pretty clear if those games are rained off today, particularly the home fans, if Australia is out and won't be uh, there in, Mel- in Melbourne for the final. Yeah, it'll be a massive boil over. I mean, at least I guess for the numbers with India in, you're still going to have a chance to, to try and push those numbers, those crowd numbers right up. But let's talk quickly about the semifinals. Uh, England versus India. Who are the keys in those two matches, in that match, sorry? Well, for, for England, Nat Sivar, absolutely the all-rounder. She's topped the run scoring charts. But more than that, she's just in the game all the time. When she hasn't got the bat in her hand, she, she comes in, uh, usually at first change and is it contributes with with either wickets or by keeping it tight and then uh, she's she's likely to be there when where the balls hit in the field as well um, she's just everywhere she'll be taking catches she'll be throwing down the stumps she's she's a really huge player for England in every facet uh, of of the game for India well we've all fallen in love with Shafali Verma through this game. She is a cracker playing shots that no 16 year old has the right to play. She's set this tournament alight genuinely with the bat. So uh, boom or bust today, uh, she's going to be really entertaining and that's going to be the task number one for them to just contain her because she's gone so hard at the top. It's given India great starts and, and also Poonam Yadav who, who took Australia apart in the opening game at Sydney showground. She has continued uh, in outstanding form, uh, I, I, England may hope that they've played her well in the past, and that they will have a, a few tricks up up their sleeve when it comes to to how they look at at, at combating the the slow moon balls of of Poonam Yadav. So. <laughs> Lots of players there, but they're the ones I, I'd really look out for. Yeah, you mentioned Verma. I think she, uh, 16-year-olds who hit the, mo- the most sixes throughout the tournament, I think, which is it's just incredible at, at any level of cricket to have a 16-year-old dominating an international <laughs> tournament like that. Uh, now to the other semi-final, Australia uh, versus South Africa. Elise Perry is out for Australia, obviously a massive loss for the Australians. Um, Probably, if you could just mention for some of our listeners out there how big a loss uh, she will be, but also then obviously who are the key players uh, in the in the final tonight? Yeah, Elise Perry. Look, she she hasn't had as big an impact on this tournament proper as you might expect her to have. But the thing about Perry is, as I, as I talked about, Nat Siver, if she's not making runs. Uh, because her batting has just come so far in the past few years. Her, she's opening the bowling. She gets wickets. She is so consistent and hard to get away, and she's brilliant in the field. But not only that, 
she has won World Cups for Australia with outstanding performances. She's been injured uh, in 2013, I think it was. You know, she was bowling on on one leg practically uh, in that final, and and that was and that was against West Indies, I think it was. And and she took wickets, uh, three wickets in the most unbelievable spell, and that essentially won the game for Australia. And she she was on painkillers from the night before. Uh, she bowled the final over when they beat uh, New Zealand in, in a previous World Cup final in the Caribbean um, where she bowled and basically stuck a foot out at the end that prevented uh, Sophie Devine from hitting the winning runs. So Elise Perry's just a big moment player and a big game player and has the experience in those big on those big occasions. So for her to not be there at the end for Australia is kind of inconceivable. It's it's a huge blow. It, it would be like in the men's game, be like Virat Kohli being out, you yeah. know, before a men's final or something of that nature. It's or just v- really Virat Kohli and Bumrah being out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right. She she sort of does everything. So yeah, a huge blow uh, for Australia. Um, but in her you know, in her absence, uh, Megan Shoot, I'm sure, will take up a lot of. You know, the, the mantle, uh, she's actually just lost her position as a number one T20 bowler in the world to Sophie Eccleston from England. But she would, I'd say, be really the leader of the attack um, with her in-swing uh, early uh, early on when hopefully the ball's still moving about. So so I expect to see her step up. Australia does have a lot of depth. Batting-wise, they probably won't miss it miss her as much because they really do have a lot of depth and she was coming in further down the order. But still, she's just a, the, the player that you, you'd think you'd really want to have there and you'd bank on having there in a must-win situation. So uh, hopefully the other Australian players will be able to step up and, and, and uh, do her proud in her absence. And what about uh, the, the, the opponents, Africa? Yeah, they've Lizelle Lee, you mentioned earlier in getting that, that brilliant century against Thailand, she's a powerhouse. I mean, she really – and if she gets going – then it's really hard to stop her. One of the biggest hitters in the women's game. Uh, Laura Wolvart is a different kind of player, more of a natural one-day batter, but she's already scored a half century in this tournament and she is sensational to watch. She's she's just a gun, only 20 years of age, but, man, you watch her driving and you would think she'd been playing the game for 20 years, not just been walking the planet for 20 years. <laughs> uh, so she, they're certainly ones to watch and also a point of difference for them, especially see Australia have lost um, Elise Perry and they also lost their quickest bowler, Taylor Vlamink, before the tournament started to uh, to a stress injury in her foot, whereas South Africa have Shabni Mishmael. She's been bowling at more than 125 kilometres per hour in this tournament. She's she's the quickest bowler there, uh, certainly, and she gets the ball to skid on at that speed. She can be a real handful, and she's fiery as well. She's one for me, one of the most exciting bowlers in the tournament. I love watching her bowl. Uh, So so she's certainly a, a point of difference. We'll see what effect this rain has and this moisture has on things. So maybe things might be a bit quicker at the SCG than they have been uh, throughout this tournament. So she's one I think will be looking to really make incisions in that Australian batting lining lineup earlier on. Uh, fantastic. And thank you very much for your insights on all of that, Melinda. Now, just before you go, I just want 
to reflect on sort of the rise of women's cricket and women's sport probably in general, but particularly women's cricket over the probably the last decade. If my if I'm correct, is this the one of the first standalone women world women's World Cups there's been? Yeah, they they had a standalone one in the Caribbean. Uh, that was the oh, first right. one uh, about fifteen months ago, um, and uh, but but in the Caribbean, it, it, it they did a really great job of promoting it there. Really, and some of the crowds, particularly when the West Indies side were playing, were fantastic. But this has been at just a, another level because it, it, just the the population, the popula- popularity of cricket in Australia is is just huge. The first game they had about thirteen thousand people at Sydney Showground. That beat the the smashed the previous uh, uh, crowd total attendance total for a standalone women's match by three or four times. Um, and they've they've beaten that the previous record uh, several times throughout this tournament. So it, it's grown so much off the back of the WBBL in particular. And also uh, just the, the increased professionalism of women's cricket. They made a decision to invest in it sort of about eight or nine years ago, Cricket Australia. And um, one thing I hear, sometimes hear, there, whenever there's any kind of advancement in the payment of women or anything like that in sport, but you do see it in cricket, you'll have people saying, oh, they don't bring in as many crowds, so they shouldn't be paid this or, or whatever it is. It's not as simply quantifiable in in the number of tickets that are sold for a particular match, or the the numbers of viewers. Although they have been incredible, that women's cricket outrates uh, a lot of men's sport in this country, like the the A League and and rugby, and and so that's you know quite interesting when you look at those figures. But it's about the long term growth of the sport, and if you can increase professionalism by increasing the amount we pay them, by making it a full-time sport, you attract the best athletes, you make it a viable career. And then all of a sudden, you've got all of these young girls out there who are suddenly turned on more to cricket and you grow the the game in the long term. It's a long-term decision that sometimes... We just had the announcement yesterday that the 100, the new tournament that they're having in England that they're offering equal prize money for the men's and women's version. Yeah, the right. women are being paid. They've got much lower wages, much, much lower wages. The highest paid woman will earn half of the lowest paid man, but they've decided to split the prize money. Even that small sort of gesture then gets a backlash. And it's like, man, look at the whole long-term ramifications and effects of this. It brings in new eyeballs to the sport and more fans down the track, increased participation, and that's what it's all about. And also at a local club level, like you talk about sort of trying to grow the game at a local level and t- people talk about the difficulty in getting people to play cricket uh, for, for whole weekends. But if you can get increase your sub, subs-paying players at a, at, a, at a local cricket club by 50%, that is a, is a huge result for local cricket. Yeah, and that's something that you can't measure by, uh, you know, it's, it's a totally different thing to saying, well, how much how much um, does it earn in rights money or whatever? It's, it's a totally different thing. It's not as quantifiable, but it's just, I think it's just as important to to cricket as a, on a local and grassroots level as, as those big rights deals are. Absolutely. You're absolutely right on that. 
as I said, thank you very much for your insights today uh, into the Women's World Cup, Melinda. And thank you for uh, fitting us into your very busy schedule with just a couple of days to go on the tournament. If I can, t- I can tell you I have looked at the BOM for Sunday and the weather <laughs> is clear. There is no rain on Sunday. So hopefully whatever happens today, we get a full game in for the final on Saturday, on Sunday, and we knock off the, the biggest crowd for a women's sporting event anywhere in the world. So as oh, I said, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, and thanks again. Thank you.